Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. You better fasten your seatbelt if you have one, because we're going flying in the wild world of speculation on Wall Street, or more especially, what is going on with Robin Hood and GameStop, uh, things that names that we had never heard of, most of us, and now they're in every newspaper and on every broadcast. Reddit, another word which we may have heard of, a, a public uh, outlet channel is instrumental here. We have today two extraordinary experts on this subject. Sinan Aral, director of the MIT Initiative on the Digital Economy and author of The Hype Machine, How Social Media Disrupts Our Elections, Our Economy and Our Health. And Jared Hazelton, a Chicago-trained economist who worked for a few years at a boutique investment firm in Connecticut, dealing with long-short strategies involving equities, futures, options, and alternative investments. What is going on? What is shorting? Why is this event upon us? Is it an event or is it a crisis? Well... If you ask me, I think it is uh, another example uh, in, a, uh, in a line of examples that are happening in short succession of the rise of the crowd's voice and the crowd's power to mobilize uh, like we've never seen before over social media. Uh, we saw just a few weeks ago uh, a raft of misinformation and coordination over social media uh, create an unprecedented event in American history, which was the riot at the Capitol, the insurrection that took place on January 6th. This was facilitated by the spread of misinformation and coordination over social media. And it was not the first time. Uh, before that, there was a uh, foiled plot to kidnap and kill the governor of Michigan which I can't believe are words that are coming out of my mouth, also coordinated over Facebook. Um, I draw an analogy to that to the GameStop events, but I want to make clear that I am not saying that what happened with GameStop was necessarily illegal or that anything nefarious happened at all. Uh, but what it does demonstrate is the power of social media to rapidly mobilize motivate, legitimize, and coordinate dramatic crowd behavior at scale very quickly. And I think that that's really the story uh, behind what's happening here. And I'm sure that Jared is going to also fill us in on some of the financial details. Uh, what I think is that there was a perfect storm of a few large hedge funds with vulnerable short positions uh, David and Goliath narrative that when you dig deeper, it's not clear that it's a legitimate narrative that motivated people to kind of stick it to the man, as it were. Um, and I actually believe that until today, we were watching a plane crash in real time, but the plane was still at 30,000 feet. Today, we see the stock price coming down quite dramatically, which was expected because it had been untethered from its economic reality. Jared? I would mostly agree with uh, Sinan's assessment there. And untethered to reality with the price is, is you know, over 300, 480 some odd dollars a share. 
there's no reality behind that. But as he expressed, this is just completely driven by a social media run-up. Uh, this had started months and months ago on the Reddit forum uh, when the share price was trading very low. And the events that led up to such a meteoric rise were both instituted by huge buying power from Robinhood and smaller investors getting in on the thread or the meme, so to speak, uh, as well as probably a lot of institutional money behind this, which isn't being talked about much. But you know, you can't institute a move to this degree with uh, retail investment. So there's. Fidelity, BlackRock, they're all owners of this stock. Uh, they probably made out in billions, uh, not to mention the, the company itself. Um, so yeah, this is, this is kind of a perfect storm of all of these elements coming together, right time, right place. And the mechanics of the market and how a short squeeze operates just sent it into the stratosphere. Who got hurt, Jared? The stock was down at $4 and then it went you know, up way over 400 uh, that's an incredible run-up on any stock, mm. especially in a failing company. So who got hurt? The hedge funds, uh, first and foremost, who were shorting this. Smaller investors shorting it. Anyone short got really, really pinched. And by shorting, we mean uh, betting so, that a stock is going to go down. Correct. And in this correct. case, of course, it went up incredibly. Yeah, so you sell at any given price on the stock market today, in the hopes that you're going to buy back the shares later. So you put your money up front now to sell the stock and then you buy it back, which is a buy to close order, ideally at a lower price, but unfortunately in this case at a much higher price for a lot of people. And how about uh, Robin Hood? What is Robin Hood? Um, so Robinhood is a investment app for retail investors. Uh, you can download it fund it, and then you can just start trading commission-free, um, which is kind of a crazy sell. Uh, commission-free just means that there's market makers on the back end of this that are making money on the bid-ask spread. Um, so Robinhood is essentially selling their consumers to market makers for profit, and that's how the money is made. So the Robinhood investors are essentially the product in this case. Do we need to control social media? Is there a move to control it? What are your views about it? It seems to me to be a very potent new way of speaking to the public, but so was the invention really of the, of the linotype machine. It changed the way people could speak to each other and to a larger audience. This is just the largest audience ever conceived. Well, I spilled about 400 pages worth of ink in my book on that question. Well, I didn't I mean, pick I up the book this week, and it's very good and worth reading. <laughs> now, tell us the conclusion. What should we do? I mean, listen, I, I do believe, and, I, and the, the, the thesis of the book is that social media has the potential for tremendous promise as well as tremendous peril, uh, much like every technology that human beings have ever invented and scaled uh, of this type. Um, I'm a firm believer uh, in the freedom of speech. I think it is a, um, a cornerstone of democracy. I think it's necessary for a civil society. I think it is essential to the marketplace of ideas. So controlling it, uh, in my mind, doesn't involve a heavy hand necessarily. But 
you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. And there is a line between free speech and harmful speech. I'm not saying in any way that this applies to GameStop. I do believe that there are situations in which we need guide rails, uh, we need uh, guidelines. And, and I do believe that we, in this case, need an SEC investigation of what happened. And I'll tell you why, because we do need to understand the relationship between communication and market outcomes. We know that if, uh, for instance, people in this crowd were uh, pushing misinformation or in some way were revealing insider information, that that would run afoul of the SEC. If they were just rah-rahing in public as they were buying stocks, that was probably legal. But there's also a third form of communication, which is the coordination at scale. Uh, and it's not clear what the SEC is or should do with that yet. Um, but I do believe uh, that we need to know more. And as Jared alluded to, uh, and as I alluded to, the David and Goliath story isn't necessarily true because we don't know who was in this crowd. And that's why we need an investigation. We don't know if there were, we know there were some institutional investors that were publicly in this crowd, including, as Jared mentioned, BlackRock, who I think made over $3 billion uh, last week as well as the former CEO of Chewy, who is an individual who had 9 million shares as well, $78 million stake or, or between 70 and $80 million stake uh, early on in GameStop. He also made, I believe over a billion dollars. Uh, and he was in public rah-rahing the stock, putting out what some would consider strange investment theses about uh, to what extent uh, GameStop was undervalued and for what reason. You have to remember GameStop is a company with physical locations where you buy games and game consoles in strip malls and in, uh, you know, in, in malls. That isn't necessarily a forward-looking business strategy to anyone who understands the digital economy and where it's going. So to, uh, to think of it as being as trading at four and then trading at 400, uh, I think that there's no investment thesis that I could conjure that would justify such a price. And so we need an investigation. And, I, and I'll tell you another thing. Uh, there are at least two channels that could create tremendous economic instability through communication like this without some sort of uh, at least consideration of whether they should be guidelines. One is that when you completely untether stock values from their underlying economics, it is a recipe for wild variability because anything could happen. Let's say the crowd wakes up tomorrow and says, we want to invest in this stock because the logo is blue. Uh, that kind of thing is not uh, predictable. It's not uh, understandable from any sort of uh, uh, forward-looking projection of strategy and current you know, financial situation and so on. But I think another really important avenue of instability is if you thought that Russia thought it might be productive to intervene in our democracy by manipulating social media through misinformation, imagine what they are thinking now about what they could do to intervene in our economy by manipulating social media. And we have to remember that social media sentiment is coupled to uh, 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 systems that mine and sense the sentiment in uh, social media and then trigger algor uh, algorithmic trading 
algorithms that would buy and sell stocks based on what's being so said on social media, and also companies that sense and mine social media to give buy and sell recommendations to their institutional clients. So wouldn't a, a Russian manipulation as a hypothetical wouldn't need to create a million retail investors in a move to, to move a stock. It would just need to quietly trigger automated trading algorithms or companies like uh, Ravenpack and data miner that have institutional investors that trade on the sentiment in social media. Um, Jared, what do you say to that? Well, maybe the answer here is to leave social media alone, but slow down the speed at which trades are executed. Well, that's interesting. The, the speed at which a trade is executed is um, not necessarily the reason here. The mechanics behind this one were kind of unique in that it was so overshorted. Um, when you have that much short pressure on a stock, you have to have the other side of a trade. So as buying occurs and the stock price goes up, the squeeze is that shorts have to capitulate and eventually buy, or the market makers that are in between in the middle have to buy. And a lot of this was done with options so that as calls are being sold and calls are being purchased, the underlying stock has to be purchased on the market making side to offset that risk. And so it's just a, a spiraling, uh, pretty much a perfect storm, a spiraling loop that just goes up and up. Uh, so the speed of trading is actually a good thing when you're providing liquidity, although the speed at which a stock price can move is, is a completely different mechanism. Uh, however, the link to social media and should that be policed and should that be regulated? If so, I mean, I, I don't know that there's a, a way to, obviously Sanan might have a better answer or guidance for that, but uh, one of the things I did pick up on from his conversation just there is that there is truly a danger to the markets of social media in that uh, I, I lived through this trade and Sanan, you example, it, uh, used it as an example in your book in 2014 when someone hacked into Reuters and said the White House had been bombed twice and Obama was hurt and there was a flash crash panic sell-off. Uh, it didn't feel too great to be a, a trader that day, <laughs> uh, but what can we do about that? Isn't there a general sense, Sanan, that the public has that the stock market is a casino and that most of us think of it more as a gamble than we do as an investment. Uh, we've sort of lost track of things like price earnings ratios and the mm. fundamental value of a stock. Everybody's heard that if you got in at, on Amazon at the beginning, you'd be awfully rich nowadays. And there's some sense that the market is like playing um, at a, a table in a casino, uh, doesn't that exacerbate this tendency for, through public media to get in and get in quickly without any research or any understanding of the underlying stock? Well, of course, and, and that can happen at the retail and the institutional level. Uh, one of the one of the things about specific stocks like Amazon running up or GameStop or any of these is they're typically story stocks or what we would call meme stocks, I guess nowadays, thanks to um, thanks to Reddit. Uh, however, it's it's not necessarily the market overall. Um, from an economic perspective, if you look at humans individually, they're entirely irrational beings. But when you aggregate this 
you see a picture of aggregated rationality because the, the mean average is a basic smooth trend. The market is similar. You're going to have your oddballs here and there. GameStop is a, a news story oddball, of course. But um, generally speaking, the overall market will move in tandem. And it will be that aggregated economic trend uh, during recessions downward, during bull markets upward. Sinan, we don't rush out and buy snake oil anymore. We've sort of come to the general opinion that it's not very valuable and doesn't work. Uh, don't we get to that stage of social wisdom eventually in most things? Uh, and won't this counter the power of social media at this moment when a kind of social wisdom sets in and people say there is no free lunch, snake oil doesn't work, etc. <laughs> well, it's funny you ask that, Llewellyn, because uh, chapter 10 in my book is called The Wisdom and the Madness of Crowds. And it discusses the science behind uh, how social media's design actually leads us more towards crowd madness than crowd wisdom. And when you think about the crowd as a herd, you can imagine it being a mad crowd or a wise crowd. And the interesting thing about the wisdom of crowds, and James Surowiecki wrote this great book called The Wisdom of Crowds, which actually, actually begins uh, its story with Sir Francis Galton 100 years before uh, who was describing in a paper published, I think, in Nature about how a crowd could guess the weight of an ox better than any expert. Because as Jared said, when you aggregate all of the opinions, uh, they become wise in a certain way. But the only problem with uh, James Surowiecki's book, uh, The Wisdom of Crowds, is that it was written in 2004, which is the same year that Mark Zuckerberg invented Facebook. And there are three pillars to crowds being wise. And that's that the opinions are aggregated independently, that they don't influence one another, that the opinions have equality, that everybody has equal voice in the crowd, uh, and as well that, um, uh, so independence, equality, and diversity, that there is diverse opinion in the crowd, that if there's a truth in the middle, that you have equal numbers of people who think who underestimate and overestimate. And so when you aggregate, you get to the true answer. And the only problem with the wisdom of crowds today is that social media destroys every one of those three pillars. We are no longer independently making decisions because we have real-time feeds of everybody else's opinion through social media and rating sites. And we get to see what everybody's doing. And during GameStop, people were sh sharing screenshots of their uh, brokerage accounts, how much they were buying, at what price they were buying. It was all interdependent decision-making rather than dependent, uh, independent decision-making. Secondly, we don't have equality of voice because uh, these networks are incredibly skewed in popularity. It's known as influencers. And uh, my colleague, uh, Matt Jackson, who's an economist at Stanford, wrote a fantastic paper with Ben Golub, who's an economist at Harvard, that looked at the theoretical conditions required for crowd wisdom. And what they found was the one thing that destroys crowd wisdom uh, is inequality of share of voice, basically having influencers in society. And then the third piece um, is diversity. And what we see with social media algorithms that give you more of what you like and suggest people to you that are more like you 
the people you may know and friend suggestion algorithms is that they drive us into clusters or cliques of polarized opinion that are very similar to one another rather than diverse. So you have two sides maybe politically in the US and they believe the same thing and the opposite of what the other side believes. These three uh, sort of pillars of crowd wisdom are therefore eroded by social media. And the big question is, does that mean we are entering an era of crowd madness rather than crowd wisdom? And you might look at the events of January the Capitol riot and the, the GameStop stock price and say, it looks like madness to me. Um, what would you say about that, Jared? Uh, does this mean that, uh, that somehow we should drive a wedge between social media and the stock market? Does this mean that people should be saved from themselves? Or should we say, if you want to take your paycheck over to the casino and bet the whole thing on on, on number 32, you can do that. Well, for, first of all, yeah, if someone wants to take their paycheck and bet it in the stock market, that's, that's their fundamental right to do so. Whether they're educated or not, inform, informed or not, that, that's, that's their right. The democracy of the market exists for all. Robinhood is making it free for them to do so. Uh, whether it's a good idea for them to do it or not, you know, that's, that's their own prerogative. But logistically, to drive a wedge between social media and the market, I don't think there's a way to really do that. Uh, I think we just have to focus more on the platforms themselves and how do we reduce the echo chamber effect. And instead of a wisdom of a crowd, we're getting these wisdom of tribes, so to speak. And they're driving very definitive real world events. Um, yeah, as we saw on January 6th, it turned to violence and an uprising. Um, with GameStop, it's, you know, generally speaking, a white male Reddit crowd producing gains in their portfolio. So very different results, but all driven by this echo chamber effect, just reinforcing this idea. And uh, the David and Goliath story that got reinforced here was interesting in that it's not even a David versus a Goliath. It's a David versus a very rich David and Goliath actually won in the background. And uh, isn't it a case though that, uh, that the rich have gotten richer in this instance with a few exceptions, some hedge funds we, we don't know yet, but eventually we'll have the data and we'll be amazed at how many people really got rich and who was good. We're gonna have hearings. What do you think will come out of those hearings? Uh, what do you think, uh, Sanan? Well, I mean, I think that what I would like to, to see uh, more of in society, if I could make such a bold statement, is less opinion and more fact. I'm, I am particularly dismayed by uh, the, the major media channels who have become basically all opinion and uh, essentially representing one side or the other. What I think we need here and what I think we need more of in society is some basic facts. We need before we have a hearing where experts come and, you know, uh, tell Congress, you know, what they think is the is the their opinion on what happened. I'd like to know what happened first before I give my opinion. And uh, and I think that uh, that would require an investigation. I mean, you know, when it comes to the Capitol riot, the FBI has basically said that this is the 
most important and the largest investigation that they've conducted since 9-11. Uh, and I think that that's justified. There, we wanna know what happened. Uh, with GameStop, we wanna know what happened. And I think that there is uh, uh, there are a lot of details that need to be unearthed before we can sort of know what to do with it. I do think, um, however, that the that that the 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 story, the the David and Goliath narrative that we all keep referring to, uh, is an important part of the of the process that happened because it uh, was a narrative that you know essentially motivated people. And that narrative uh, was an essential part to getting people to get on board with the movement. That narrative is taking place throughout our society. We see it in our politics, uh, the, the, the move against elites or imagined elites, uh, etc. There's a large sense that the individual is being excluded by forces beyond the control of the individual. Uh, and that is a that's a social social problem. Uh, it's not even a socio-economic problem. It's a social problem when you have this level of doubt and dissatisfaction in the public. What do you think, Jared? Uh, do you think the market is reflecting something bigger? Well, it's it's an interesting question. When you when you go back in recent decades and just see the vast income inequality grow and grow and grow, mostly in part due to the market and, you know, such things as executives being paid with stock more so than salary and such. Yeah, I, I do understand and sympathize that the average person feels very left behind when they've had decades of relatively stagnant wage growth, um, even though corporate profits are up and up and up year over year for the last uh, 18 or so years. So the sentiment of this us versus them, the 99% versus the 1%, uh, exacerbated by the 2008 financial crisis and the aftermath of that and Occupy Wall Street and all that, I can definitely understand where all this sentiment is coming from. And then you throw it into the echo chamber. And in a year where we have a pandemic and people are stuck at home, um, often unemployed or underemployed, and they have couple extra dollars and just want to stick it to the man, that narrative becomes almost their religion, I would say. And then we just get a this type of a GameStop effect. And I, I don't think this will be a one-off going forward. Um, they've attempted to move markets as big as silver now. They've moved into short-squeezing silver, which is a, a massive market. I don't think they'll be as successful there. Um, and the short sellers there are a very different type of short seller as well. A lot of them are short selling because they actually are hedging physical silver, um, producers, miners, et cetera. So it, it's, it's an interesting narrative, David versus Goliath. I think the underlying problems are much bigger than just stock market versus the average guy. And we've got to do some fundamental rethinking of our society and economic system to even begin to correct that issue. This is our program, is History for Today. I thank you for coming along. Uh, you can relax now, but do, do wear your mask because social media hasn't vanquished the virus yet. Thank you. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are there.